Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Leap Day, Thursday, February 29th, 2024. I'm your reader, Grace Barter. A Waterloo man has been arrested for allegedly shutting off natural gas meters at several homes in Waterloo last week. Police arrested Joshua Emanuel Conkling, 41, 426 Logan Avenue on Friday on one count of first-degree criminal mischief by interrupting utilities, a felony, and seven counts of trespassing. Bond was set at $15,000. Authorities said someone turned off natural gas service to seven houses on Logan Avenue on February 22nd. Police identified Conkling through surveillance video of the incidents. Officers approached him at his house, where he was allegedly wearing the same clothing pictured in the security videos, according to court records. The arrest comes months after prosecutors dropped assault charges in a February 2023 case where Conkling was accused of punching a family member. Officials moved to dismiss the case because of competency issues, court records show. A fire damaged a home and claimed the life of a family pet in Waterloo on Monday night. Residents at 532 Evergreen Avenue were upstairs shortly after 9 p.m. when they heard an alarm and noticed smoke, according to officials with Waterloo Fire Rescue. They were able to escape without injury, but a dog was trapped inside. The fire appears to have started in a back porch area and worked its way into the house and up the home's back wall. The cause of the fire hasn't been determined. The house is owned by James and Sandra Eady, according to property records. A Waterloo man charged in November 2023 shooting is now facing federal charges. A grand jury returned an indictment charging Jamans Jaquan Moore, 26, with felon in possession of a firearm. The charge was filed February 22nd in U.S. District Court in Cedar Rapids. Authorities saw Moore running from the scene of a shooting at 746 Ray Street on November 11th, and police found him carrying a 9mm Glock handgun. Officers also found 9mm shell casings at the scene. Travis William Ramsey suffered a gunshot wound to the arm in the shooting. Moore is also awaiting trial for willful injury charges in state court in connection with the shooting. The Waterloo Community School District will soon be the owner of more than 28 acres of farmland on the west side of the city. Board of Education Monday approved a purchase agreement for property located along Petoskey Drive and Huntington Road for $729,800. The district is buying the land from Stephen Rieger. The anticipated closing date is March 18th. The 28.65 acres will be the future home of the Waterloo Career Center's new agri-science program, which starts this fall. The land is across Katoski Drive from the Central Middle School Career Center campus. The decision to buy the land was not unanimous, however. It passed 5 to 1 with board member Jonathan Cox voting against the purchase. Board member Lyle Schmidt was absent. 
Cox didn't give a reason for voting no, but had expressed disappointment in the district's lack of clarity regarding the area potentially being in a floodplain. During public comment, one man living in the neighborhood said the area was in a floodplain. Cox said many board members also thought this. Zach Kelly, the district's director of operational services, said the area is not in a floodplain, according to the city's engineering department. He said if any detention ponds or extra drainage needed to be implemented, the city would construct those. Kelly also said the steep price point is due to the location of land and that it's a prime spot for development. Superintendent Jared Smith said the cost is in the district's budget. Board member Stacy Mills said she was confused about what the land would be designated for. Board documents state it will be for agri-science, but Mills said during one town hall meeting regarding the high school merger, officials suggested that the land could be used for athletics. The district has proposed locating a merged high school at the center Central Career Center campus. Smith said Waterloo School's immediate need for the land is for the agri-science courses, but there is also a need for more sports fields, and those projects could come later. According to him, the land will still be utilized even if the merger doesn't get approved by the board. Earlier in the meeting, the district introduced the Career Center's new agri-science teacher, Hunter Hamilton. He currently works for the Dyke New Hartford Community School District as an agricultural teacher and with its chapter of the Future Farmers of America. Hamilton foresees his curriculum, including plant science, animal and veterinary science, marketing, and hands-on work with crops and plants. The district is in the process of interviewing candidates for the new Power Technology, Beauty and Wellness, and Criminal Justice programs. The Waterloo Community Schools is also settling on ideas how to spend some of its money from the taxpayers. The Board of Education on Monday discussed potential projects that would be paid for with physical plant and equipment levy funds. No actions were taken. Any project that takes place will have to come before the board for approval. The biggest physical changes would be filling in the swimming pools in East and West High Schools, as well as upgrading Bunger Middle School's track and field. The pool infill projects are estimated to cost $550,000, while the track and field project would cost $1 million. The district is also hoping to update and add air conditioning to both high schools and is updating the entire heating, ventilating, and air conditioning system for the Educational Service Center. The HVAC update would cost about $1.5 million, the east upgrade being $720,000 and the west upgrade would cost $600,000. Other large Project proposals are upgrading the track and field at Hoover Middle School, buying new grounds and seasonal equipment and resurfacing the track at Central Middle School. At East and West, the indoor pools have been closed for multiple years as the district diverted pool use to Central. 
plan is to fill in the pools and turn the rooms into multi-purpose recreational uses. Once this is done, sports such as wrestling, cheerleading, and the dance team could use the spaces. Although the district is looking to build a merged school, which would take 10th through 12th graders out of the current high school buildings into one larger school, the space would still be beneficial to the 8th and 9th graders who would be attending in those buildings. Central Middle School's girls wrestling program is growing fast, and two other middle schools are looking to start their own wrestling programs. If approved by the board, the infill projects could be completed by the end of summer. The Bunger track and field project, the most expensive of the proposals, would flip the current track 90 degrees to allow for a 400-meter running lane. An all-weather track would be installed, as well as new field surfacing for the football field. If approved, the project would not begin until the 24-25 school year. Other track projects that year could include track and field upgrades at Hoover and a resurfacing of Central's track. The physical plant and equipment levy helps pay for things such as purchasing buildings and equipment, constructing schools, buildings, and roads, and repairing, remodeling, and reconstructing existing facilities. Currently, the levy is $0.67 cents per $1,000 in taxable property value. Along with that voter-approved levy, there is a board-approved levy at $0.33 cents per $1,000 of taxable value. This results in taxpayers paying $1 per $1,000 of taxable value. The $1 levy generates $3.18 million per year in revenue. In a September special election, voters overwhelmingly approved an increase in the PPEL starting in July 2027. The voter-approved levy will then be doubled to $1.34 for a total levy of $1.67. In other business, the board approved two technology purchases. A new internet service from Orion at 10 gigabytes will cost $1,403 per month. Through a federal funding program, the district could pay just 10% of that cost, or $140 per month. Network equipment from Arcor Wireless at a cost of $142,000, as well as two FortiGate firewalls, for $195-252. If the same federal funding program is received, the district could pay about $99 to $170,000 of the total $337,277. The Board of Education on Monday in Cedar Falls approved a $237,000 contract with Black Hawk Roof Company for work this summer at Cedar Heights and Orchard Hill Elementary Schools. The bid was nearly $38,000 lower than the estimated cost of $275,000. Said Danelle Gonerman, Cedar Falls Community's Chief Financial Officer, we are very pleased with the bids. 
Last month, Terracon Consultants Incorporated of Cedar Falls discussed replacement of portions of the roofs at both schools. A 10,844-square-foot portion of the roof will be replaced at Cedar Heights. Orchard Hill will have a 1,060-square-foot roof replaced. The cost breaks down to $201,000 at Cedar Heights and $36,000 at Orchard Hill. Terracon's design services are an additional expense for the project, estimated at $36,100. The projects will be paid for with physical plant and equipment levy funds. They were anticipated in the district's 10-year PPEL plan. Blackhawk Roof Company is based in Waterloo and has assisted in many roofing projects throughout Cedar Falls and Waterloo. Construction is set to begin the week of June 3rd and is expected to be completed by August. In other business, the board set a March 19th public hearing for the 2024-25 school year calendar. The school year will start on the earlier possible date allowed in Iowa Code of August 23rd with the last day on May 3rd, 2025. Patty noted that a revised calendar may come before the board if a bill in the legislature is later approved that would allow school to start at any point in the week that includes August 23rd. And the board approved the retirement of Associate Superintendent Pam Ziegler. The longtime educator has been with Cedar Falls Schools for 13 years and previously worked 10 years in the Waterloo Community Schools. Cost of living increases are leading Hawkeye Community College to raise their tuition 3.45% for the upcoming 2024-25 school year. Tuition is currently set at $218 per credit hour for in-state students and $221 per credit hour for out-of-state students. Rates will climb to $225 per credit hour for in-state students and $228 for out-of-state students, a 3.45% increase. Activity fees also will increase by $0.50 per credit hour to $7. This increase was approved at Tuesday's Board of Trustees meeting and will take effect July 1st. During the discussion, one board member asked what is included in the student activity fee. Said Nina Grant, Vice President of Student Affairs, It pays for our student health clinic, which we contract out those services, not only the medical side, but our counselor that we have now hired. It also pays for all of the student activities that we do, everything from Fall Fest to the monthly events that the Brock Center puts on. It also includes the amount we pay Met Transit to come to campus, which is about $58,000 annually. From Cedar Falls, a woman has been arrested for allegedly leading police on a high-speed chase in a minivan early Tuesday morning. A Cedar Falls police officer attempted to pull over a Dodge Journey on West 1st Street for speeding around 5.30 a.m. The van continued on 
accelerating and fleeing officers for around 20 minutes before police called off the chase because of the vehicle's dangerous driving, according to authorities. Officers later found the vehicle parked and empty. Police arrested Denasia Quanis Salas, 22, of 3217 Darlene Court, Waterloo, a short time later, for eluding, reckless driving, and driving while barred. Bond was set at $10,000. Court records show Salas is on probation for a November 2022 chase in Waterloo and an April 2021 traffic stop where police found a gun and marijuana. From Grundy Center, Grundy County Sheriff's Office deputies seized more than $8,000 in cash and two pounds of marijuana while searching a rural Grundy Center home last week. Deputies also seized a Rock River AR-15 rifle, ammunition, and prescription drugs. The resident, 20-year-old Carter Evan Jacobson, was arrested for possession of marijuana with intent to deliver, violation of the Drug Tax Stamp Act, possession of psychedelic mushrooms with intent to deliver, and other charges. He was later released on bond. According to court records, investigators set up controlled buys to purchase marijuana at Jacobson's home on Nickel Avenue. On February 22nd, Officers searched the house and found oxycodone pills, alprazolam pills, amphetamine, dextroamphetamine, psychedelic mushrooms, and THC wax. Deputies also found scales and a vacuum sealer and other items. A Minnesota sex offender who solicited nude photos from teens in Iowa and other states has pleaded guilty to plotting to kill the family of one of his victims in Pennsylvania. Michael Lee Krakowski, 28, of Owatonna, entered his plea to one count each of threatening interstate communication and production of child pornography in U.S. District Court for Minnesota. Court records allege Krakowski's murder plot was more than just talk. Authorities found him with a knife, stun gun, 16 flex cuffs, handcuffs, electrical tape, and hooded face masks while taking a Greyhound bus to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Cedar Falls Police assisted in the investigation because one of his victims included a 13-year-old boy from Cedar Falls, according to court records. Kurkowski was 25 when he allegedly began exchanging nude photos with a boy under age 18 in Pennsylvania. In 2021, after several years, the victim decided to end the online relationship. This upset Krakowski, who traveled to Pennsylvania in an attempt to continue the relationship. The victim went to police, and Krakowski was arrested on state child pornography charges and later convicted. He was sentenced to 142 days in jail, followed by probation. He was to register as a sex offender and was barred from contacting his victim, according to prosecutors. Then, in December 2021, authorities learned of another teen in East Peoria, Illinois, who had been exchanging photos with Krakowski, 
and this led to information about the Cedar Falls victim, according to court records. Family of the Illinois victim also obtained information that Krakowski had sent text messages outlining detailed plans to kill the Pennsylvania teen for ruining his life and turning him into authorities, records state. The plan included using the Illinois teen to lure the Pennsylvania teen's sister out of the house, and then they used the sister to get inside. Once inside, he would kill the parents, rape the sister and the Pennsylvania teen, and then kill them, cutting out her heart. Then, in February 2022, Krakowski's family went to police with similar concerns about a murder plot, with the added detail that he had booked a bus trip. His grandmother had dropped him off at the Owatonna bus depot after he told her he was going to the New Prague, Minnesota area. But another relative suspected he was heading east to hurt one of his victims, but had been caught in a snowstorm. Authorities tracked Kirkowski's cell phone, finding traces of it moving through Indiana. When the bus stopped at a Greyhound depot in Toledo, Ohio, officers took him into custody. Along with the knife and flex cuffs, they found a handwritten list of names, people they suspected he planned to harm, according to court records. Kirkowski allegedly admitted he was headed to see the Pennsylvania victim and had thoughts of harming the family, but wasn't sure if he would have carried them out. Police examined his internet history and found searches for best blade for cutting skin and how long does a blade have to be to cause lethality and do police know if you use a greyhound? He was charged with making threats in the murder plot and child pornography in connection with exchanges with other victims, according to court records. Jury selection began Monday, but Perkowski ended up pleading guilty. Sentences will be at a later date, and Perkowski remains in custody. The largest and highest horsepower tractor John Deere has ever made is expected to roll off the assembly lines in Waterloo in mid-2024. Company officials announced today its brand new 9RX tractor, a flexible swivel joint articulated tractor with four huge treads or tracks, will be manufactured in Waterloo. The tractor can be fitted with 830, 770, or 710 horsepower engines depending on customer needs. It'll be the most productive, highest horsepower, smartest tractor that we've ever produced, said Brett Showalter, large tractor and tillage manager at Deer in Waterloo. And we can carry that flag across the industry as well. There's no other tractor out there that will be even close to productivity that this tractor will be able to offer. The announcement was made today at the 2024 Commodity Classic Trade Show in Houston and provided to the Courier. While local officials declined to say whether the new tractor line would create any additional jobs going forward, they noted preparations have been in the works for some time. Some 1,200 positions in the 5,500 employee Waterloo operations have been filled in a series of hiring fairs over this past three to four years. Becky Gwynn, vice president and factory manager of Deers Waterloo Operations, notes 
that Deere has invested some $500 million in its Waterloo operations over the same period. A major portion of the East Donald Street Tractor Cab Assembly Operations Plant, known to many longtime residents as the Tractor Works or the Northeast Site, is currently under renovation. The new tractors in a conventional Midwest farm setting would primarily be used for tillage, an increasingly time-sensitive operation that has to be done at opportune windows in between weather settings. The horsepower is unprecedented, Gwynn and Showalter said. There are tractors in the low 700s today in horsepower, Showalter noted. This is far and away industry-leading from a horsepower and productivity standpoint. This is a ground-up, brand-new redesigned machine that the top model will be at 830 horsepower. There are two models below, 770 and 710. An existing tracks model with two tracks on either side of the machine is very popular, Showalter said. These new articulated models with four tracks are an extension of that. The new tractor line was conceived and is being built entirely in Waterloo Cedar Falls at the various plants making up Deere's massive manufacturing complex. It includes a new 18-liter engine manufactured at the Deere Engine Works on West Ridgeway Avenue. Planning began in 2017. One of the things that's different about this program is how much virtual engineering we did at the PEC. Gwynne said, learning how to design and manufacture the products virtually more efficiently and in less time than physically building actual test models. The new product line is being introduced in addition to Deere's Waterloo-made and still relatively new 8R series tractors rolled out in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020, and the continued rollout of the remotely guided driverless autonomous tractor announced in 2022. Deere officials said they plan to mark the milestone with some in-house celebrations with staff. Production is anticipated to begin in late spring or early summer. On most days, Aretha White can be found at the Jesse Cosby Center, whether for an exercise class, Bible study, or an animated game of skip bowl. But Tuesday was special. Friends and family gathered to Mark White's 104th birthday, while the event also served as the center's senior luncheon and marked Black History Month, White was the center of attention. White's family, originally from Mississippi, came to Iowa when her father sought work with the railroad as a strike breaker. White was born in 1920, the first of her family to be born in Waterloo. At that time, the city boasted a population of 36,230. Its black residents numbered 856. White was one of eight children, four boys, and four girls. I was in the middle, White said. They called me Mama's baby. White has outlived all her siblings. She married Johnny White in 1940, and the pair raised eight children. Johnny died in 2010. Over the years, White helped support her family, 
doing housework, working in the kitchen at Holiday Inn, and passing out towels and keys at the YMCA. White also found ways to give back to her community. As a founding member of the Big Mamas program through the Jesse Cosby Center, White and others would go to Ulysses S. Grant Elementary School, now the site of Dr. Walter Cunningham School for Excellence, and help teach kids to read. She was a Cub Scout leader, a grand-worthy matron of the Eastern Star of Iowa, and active in her church, Savior Missionary Baptist Church, where she served as Sunday school teacher and Sunday school superintendent. White said the biggest changes in her lifetime were the telephone and automobiles. I can still remember my phone number, 1696J. She said, it was a three-party line. It would ring three times. That meant it was our line and you would answer it. A lot of times, the others would listen in. White has also always led an active life. As a senior, she was a member of a bowling league. Every Tuesday, we would go to Cadillac Lane, she said. I wasn't that good, but I did win a couple of trophies. I still have all my equipment, my ball, my bag, and my shoes. White still lives in her own home on Cottage Street, the same street she was born on. She likes to watch TV, westerns are her favorite, and of course, she continues to frequent the Jesse Cosby Center as she has since it opened more than 50 years ago. I come for the company, she said. You are listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, for Leap Day, Thursday, February 29th, on IRIS, the R Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now, let's turn to today's obituaries. Jean A. Johnson, age 84, of Waterloo, passed away Sunday, February 25th. Funeral services with military honors will be held at 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 2nd at Faith Evangelical Lutheran Church, 1555 West Ridgeway Avenue in Waterloo. Visitation at the church will begin at 10 a.m. Fellowship will follow the services. Inurnment will be at a later date. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to Faith Evangelical Lutheran Church, Cedar Valley Hospice, or the donor's choice. Jean Arthur Johnson was born July 11, 1939, in rural New Hampton. He received his education at New Hampton Public School going through the 8th grade. Jean went to work at age 13, helping with farm tiling, working at a service station, setting pins at the bowling alley, and then B&P Silo Company. In 1960, Jean was hired at John Deere, working at several of the production plants. He retired after 33 years of loyal service. Jean was a 31-year member of American Legion Post Number 138 and a faith and a member of Faith Evangelical Lutheran Church in Waterloo. Roger H. Jays, 88, of Cedar Falls, passed away on Saturday, February 24th from Alzheimer's dementia. He was born in Fort Dodge, Iowa on August 6, 1935. 
Roger attended Waterloo West High School, where he was an active member of the Civil Air Patrol, graduating in May of 1955 and then joined the Navy Reserves, serving for 12 years. He married Ruth White on June 15, 1958, at the First Reformed Church of Evansdale. Roger worked at RAF Packing, United Rentals, and finally as a machinist for John Deere at the Product Engineering Center for over 30 years before retiring in January of 1996. Visitation for Roger will be held from 4 to 6 at Dahl Van Hoeschuh Funeral Home on Sunday, March 3rd. A celebration of life service will be held at 10 a.m. Monday, March 4th at the funeral home with an hour visitation prior. Memorials may be directed to the family of Roger Jays for future designation. Kenton Paul Zelly, 65, of Hudson, died Saturday, February 24th. Born March 15, 1958, in Decorah, Iowa, he grew up in East Waterloo, Kenton attended Krieg Elementary, Logan Junior High, and East High, where he excelled in sports and academics and sang in the East High Male Quartet. He lifeguarded at Gates Pool and delivered papers at Allen Hospital. He graduated from East in 1976 and married his high school sweetheart, Cynthia Abbott, on August 25, 1979. In 1980, he graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in mechanical engineering, completed an engineering master's at University of Missouri at Columbia, and earned an MBA at the University of Iowa. Over their nearly 45 years together, Kenton and Cynthia made their home in Kansas City, Missouri, Marion, Iowa, and Hudson, Iowa. Kenton served on various church boards and on the Hudson Utility Board. Along the way, Kenton lent his engineering and managerial expertise to Allied Signal, Automation Systems and Control, and John Deere Waterloo. His work at Deere as manager of global factory automation enabled him to travel internationally and advance global manufacturing. Visitation will be held on Friday, March 1st, from 4 to 7 p.m. at Lock at Tower Park, Kimball Avenue, Waterloo. The funeral service will be held on Saturday at 1 p.m. at Lock at Tower Park. A private family burial will take place at Garden of Memories Cemetery in Waterloo. Memorials may be directed to the family. Cynthia Drofel. 64 of Independence passed away on February 26th. Cindy was born September 4th, 1959 in Independence. She graduated from Independence Jefferson High School in 1978. Cindy enjoyed her work as a client job trainer at Goodwill Industries Cedar Rapids. She later attended Hawkeye Community College and became a hospice CNA. She worked for Iowa Hospice and St. Croix Hospice for many years. Memorials can be sent to Amigos de Leninos Cabo San Lucas at adlncabo.org, which provides health care and treatment to impoverished children, or to the Cedar Valley Hospice. A private service will be held at a later date. Diane K. Anderson, 66, of Waterloo, passed away Sunday, February 25th. 
Diane was born on April 11, 1957, in Waverly. In 1975, Diane graduated from WSR High School in Waverly. In 1971, she met Dennis Anderson at the Waverly Youth Center. They were married in 1974. Diane loved being a stay-at-home mother and wife. Through scouts and in-home daycare for over 30 years, she became a second mother to countless children she looked after. Visitation will be from 4 to 7, Thursday, February 29th, at Kaiser Corson Funeral Home in Waverly. Funeral services will be at 10.30 on Friday, March 1st, at Cross Point Church in Waverly. Burial will follow in Willow Lawn Cemetery, Plainfield. Memorials may be directed to Diane's family. Peter Leroy Myers, 76, of Waterloo, died Monday, February 26th. He was born October 10, 1947, in Waterloo. He married Kathy Strafrigan on October 4, 1975, at Our Savior's Lutheran Church in Waterloo. Peter served in the United States Navy from 1968 to 1968 and the United States Marines from 1968 to 1976. Peter is a Vietnam veteran. He was employed as a master control technician with the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Department until his retired. Memorial service will be at 10.30 a.m. Friday, March 1st at Haggerty Wakoff Growup Funeral Services on West Ridgeway. Full military rites will be conducted by the Evansdale Amvets Post 31, assisted by the United States Naval Honor Guard. Visitation is one hour prior to the service at the funeral home. Memorials may be directed to the family. Ivan Van Omeren, 87, of DeWitt, passed away Wednesday, February 21st. A memorial visitation will be held Saturday, March 9th, at DeWitt Evangelical Free Church from 9 a.m. until the service time of 11 a.m., with a lunch following at the church. In his kind and generous spirit, Van donated his body to science at the University of Iowa. Ivan Dale Van Amelen was born October 22, 1936, in Hull, Iowa. He graduated from Orange City High School and received his bachelor's and later master's degree in industrial education from State Iowa State University. He also served in the Army National Guard. Van married Dorothy DeBoer on July 13, 1962, in Boyden, Iowa. He taught industrial arts and then worked for John Deere for 27 years. Memorials are suggested to the DeWitt Evangelical Free Church. Brian Hoosier, of 61, of Clarksville, died Sunday, February 25th. A celebration of life for family and friends will be held 1 to 3 p.m. Saturday, March 9th at Doc's Tap in Clarksville. Brian will be laid to rest at Linwood Cemetery in Clarksville. Laura Osborne, 89, of Gladbrook, passed away Tuesday, February 20th. 
A memorial service will be held at 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 2nd at Peace United Church of Christ in Gladbrook, Iowa, with visitation at 10 a.m. A luncheon will immediately follow the service. The family has scheduled a private inurnment. In lieu of flowers, the family suggests memorials to Peace United Church of Christ in Gladbrook or an organization to close to your heart. Laura graduated from Gladbrook High School in 1953. On September 2, 1953, Laura was united in marriage with John Jack William Osborne at Peace United Church. Laura and Jack farmed near Gladbrook until their retirement in 1999. In high school, Laura was a member of the school band and played trombone. She was also a member of the mixed chorus and glee club. She later sang for many years with the church choir and played with the bell choir at Peace United Church of Christ. Laura also worked as a receptionist at the Family Practice Clinic in Gladbrook for 10 years. Connie Hobson, aged 68, of Waterloo, passed away on February 25th. She was born on June 2, 1955, in Wakan. Connie's life was a testament to love, kindness, and unwavering devotion to her loved ones. On May 24, 1975, Connie exchanged vows with the love of her life, Matt Hobson, in a ceremony at the Salem United Church of Christ in rural Wakan. Connie graduated from Wakan High School and soon moved to Waterloo. Two positions she was the most proud of were working with the City of Cedar Falls and later at the Financial Decisions Group in the role of financial assistant. Connie also found fulfillment in volunteering at Mercy One and in a kindergarten classroom at Becker Elementary School in Waterloo. A gathering of family and friends will be held from 12 to 2 p.m. on Sunday, March 3rd, at Lock at Tower Park, Waterloo. At 2 p.m., there will be a prayer and time for sharing of memories. Memorials may be directed to Connie's family for later designation. Sharon Schneiderman, 73, of Parkersburg, died Saturday, February 24th. Funeral services will be 10.30 a.m. Friday, March 1st, at the Parkersburg United Methodist Church. Visitation will be Thursday from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Redmond Funeral and Cremation Funeral Home in Parkersburg. Dennis Lee Huffman, 69, of New Hartford, died Saturday, February 24th. There will be a private service at a later date. Dahl Van Hove Schuf Funeral Home is assisting the family. Timothy Todd Fry, 61, of Allison, formerly of Waterloo, passed away on January 31st at the Rehab Center of Allison. Haggerty Wakeoff and Grarup on South Street is in charge of arrangements. Dawn Gaylene Reynolds, 90, of Waterloo, passed away Saturday, February 24th. Haggerty Wakeoff and Grarup on South Street is in charge of arrangements. And we have lots of sports action with all the high school basketball. And girls' high school action, when it comes to playing, 
three-time defending state champion Dyke New Hartford, it is kind of a pick-your-poison moment in preparation. The deal is none of the poisons are an easy swallow. Tuesday, 8th-seeded Cascade decided to pack the paint and take away the Peterson twins, Jaden and Peyton. That meant leaving sharpshooting Marn Bixby open, open often. The Cougars picked the wrong antidote. Bixby knocked down seven three-pointers, five in the first half, as her 25-point game led the Wolverines to an easy cruise control 58-28 victory in a Class 2A state quarterfinal at Wells Fargo Arena. Early on, with Cascade content to play its collapsing 2-3 zone, the two teams traded points, and it was 4-4, nearly three minutes into the contest. Then, Bixby was left open on the wing, and it was nothing but net. That triple started a 7-0 run, and two more first-quarter trays by Bixby saw Dyke New Hartford already in complete control, leading 19-8 after one. When Bixby and Izzy Norton hit back-to-back threes midway through the second quarter, the route was on as the Wolverines had boosted their lead to 28-10 on their way to a 35-12 halftime advantage. Bixby made 7 of 15 three-point attempts and was 9 of 17 from the field. Meanwhile, Norton knocked down two triples and Buskell had one as Dyke New Hartford made 10 in the game. And on several of those threes, the Peterson collected assists as the duo combined for 11 of them. Jaden Peterson finished with 9 points, 17 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks, and 2 steals. Peyton had 9 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists. The victory moved Dyke New Hartford into a semifinal against either Eddieville, Blakesburg, Fremont, or Sioux Central in Friday at 10 a.m. The Wolverines have won 10 straight state tournament games, and their drive to win four state straight state championships accomplished only one other time in state history, Ankeny, in 2002 through 2005, moved a step forward Tuesday. Grundy Center faltered in the second half and falls in the 2A state quarterfinal. For 16 minutes Wednesday, Grundy Center did a lot more good than bad, but when the bad caught up to them, the Spartans couldn't overcome it as Panorama rallied for a 59-49 Class 2A state quarterfinal victory at Wells Fargo Arena. Grundy Center committed 20 turnovers, 13 of them in the second half, and gave up 21 offensive rebounds, which led to 25 second-chance points to propel the Panthers to victory. Panorama also scored 23 points off turnovers, meaning 48 of its 59 points came on second-chance points or points off turnovers. Grundy Center never trailed in the first half, In fact, the Spartans led for 14 minutes and 36 seconds. The Spartans used a 10-0 run to take control early, including a three-pointer by Laney Dole and an Ellery-Luring triple made it 15-4 as Grundy Center led 15-6 after one. Panorama scored six points, rapid fire in the first minute of the second quarter to pull to within three but Dole hit back-to-back trays to extend the lead back out to eight. 
Dole would make four three-pointers in the game and finish with 12 points. Carly Willis led the Spartans with 18 points and 10 rebounds, and Luring had 13 points. Grundy Center led 29-25 at the half. The Spartans actually had less turnovers, 7, than Panorama, 8, in the first half. The Panthers quickly erased their deficit to open the third quarter, but twice Grundy Center retook the lead with its final lead, 33-30, on a Willis inside basket with five minutes left in the third. But then Panorama's Mia Waddle and Morgan Crees got hot. The game was tied at 35-37 and 37 before a 7-0 run put the Panthers in control. Waddle and Crees, who combined for eight points in the first half, finished with a combined 32. A luring triple to end the third and a layup by Willis to open the fourth closed Grundy Center to within 47-44, but the Panthers stayed aggressive on defense and were relentless on the offensive boards, created numerous second chances. Crees led Panorama with 19, Jaden Sellers had 18 points and 9 rebounds, 8 offensive, and was one of three Panthers with 4 steals. The Spartans will graduate five seniors from the squad, including starters Luring, Lucy Lebo, Dole, and Willis. Sydney Bieneman is not the first option to score for the Waverly Shell Rock girls basketball team. In fact, Bieneman is not the second, third, or fourth option either. But when push came to shove Tuesday in a Class 4A state quarterfinal against Sioux Center at Wells Fargo Arena, Bieneman became the GoHawks go-to girl. Bieneman scored seven straight points for WSR to open the fourth quarter, including the go-ahead basket with two minutes and three seconds left as the GoHawks survived a tough test to beat the Warriors 55-51. I was just trying to focus on getting the ball and do everything I could for my team, said Bieneman, who scored 12 points, seven more than her season average. Bieneman scored three inside baskets and made a free throw during her scoring run. The semifinal victory snapped a four-game state quarterfinal losing streak for Waverly Shell Rock, dating back to 2013. It advanced them to a semifinal game Thursday at 6.45 p.m. against Bishop Helen Catholic, who beat Lewis Central 70-40 to in another quarterfinal. And not a single second of the victory was easy. Sioux Center made the Gohawks really earn it. And in boys' basketball, something had to give. In a battle between the number two scoring offense in Class 3A and the number two scoring defense, something had to give. When the high-octane Waverly Shell Rock Gohawks faced their foil in the hard-nosed Grinnell Tigers in the Class 3A Substate 6 Championship, Gohawk head coach Nate Stege said his team felt that if they could get some stops, they could force the Tigers to play at their pace. However, on Monday, the Tigers managed to stall the Gohawks' offense and limited Waverly Shell Rock's offense to its second-lowest point total of the season. The Gohawks won 56-64 all the same, 
to advance to the 2024 Class 3A Iowa High School Boys State Basketball Tournament in Des Moines. Gohawks and Tigers dueled to a 12-12 gridlock after eight minutes of action as Waverly Shellrock Sr. Noah Frazel scored five points in the opening frame and Grinnell Sr. Cole Blackford managed seven to lead all players. Grinnell started to rally early in the fourth quarter, trimming Waverly Shellrock's lead to 45-42 with just over four minutes remaining. The Gohawks held on for the win despite being outscored 32-27 to in the second half. Stege also added that the Waverly Shell Rock girls team qualifying for state last week helped to motivate his team to its win on Monday. The 22-23 Cedar Falls boys basketball season came to a close on the floor of the roundhouse at Marshalltown High High School 364 days ago. Not a day has gone by since where Tigers forward Cade Corbett has not thought about the 54-47 loss to Ankeny Centennial. According to Cedar Falls head coach Ryan Schultz, the rest of the Tigers shared Corbett's drive. On Tuesday night, the Tigers righted last year's wrong with a 62-42 win over Waukee Northwest in the Class 4A Substate 6 Championship. With the win, the Tigers advanced to their sixth state tournament appearance in the last seven seasons and the 14th in program history. On Tuesday, Cedar Falls used its new system to take control early on against the Wolves, storming out to an 8-0 lead as Logan Rowe managed to get a pair of early layups to go and Cade Corbett returned to the high-flying form he demonstrated against Ottumwa last Friday. Cedar Falls cruised to a win, building off its 30-17 halftime advantage by outscoring the Wolves 32-25 in the second half to earn the 20-point win. In a true display of the Tigers' depth, Galvin finished as the Tigers' only player in double figures with 13, while Corbett scored 9 and 4. Jake Peters, Stege, Rowe, and Giridas scored 8. Up next, the Tigers, who have been chosen as the 6th seed in Class 4A, head to Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines, where they will face number 6 Bettendorf in the quarterfinal round. And off the playing field, several high school players earned honors. The Waterloo Christian swept the Iowa Star North Conference Player of the Year honors as Drew Wagner and Katie Costello brought home the boys and girls honors respectively. Eli Evans joined Wagner on the conference's boys' first team, while Jared Aronson earned second team and Matthew Krause earned honorable mention status. Reagan Wheeler joined Costello on the league's girls' first team. Natalie Witt earned second-team honors. Alexis Harlan received an honorable mention nod. The Waterloo East boys basketball team announced five Trojans earned Iowa Alliance North All-Conference selections. Guard Jeremiah Clark and forward Deshondas Moore earned first-team honors. 
Center Keandra Owens received a unanimous selection to the second team, while Darvarian Clark and Aiden Muhammad received honorable mention status. The East Girls basketball team also earned five Iowa Alliance North All-Conference selections. Senior guard Jayla Stanford received a unanimous selection to the first team. Sophomore guards Shiana Cody and Grayson Downing received second team honors, while Mia Norman and Jemiah Caesar received honorable mention nods. And that does it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Leap Day, Thursday, February 29, 2024. I'm your reader, Grace Barter. You can ex- access a reading of today's, a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thanks for listening. <music>